Hey guys, welcome back to the Pineapple Podcast, Stories of Infertility. This is episode 9 called Ashley. Today's guest is Ashley. We connected over Instagram. Her handle is at Rage Against Infertility. I will put it in the show notes. Um, but we got to chatting and I'm really excited to have her share her story. She and her husband have been trying for a while now to get pregnant. Um, she'll talk more about what that process has been like. But some of the things that they have been uh working with is multiple diagnoses on her part, autoimmune, as well as PCOS, and then a little bit of male factor infertility. Um, There is also some conversation about miscarriage, so just for anybody listening, I want you to know that that does come up. Um, And then Ashley also talks about how her size has really impacted and influenced how she's received care. Um, And so I think that's a really important conversation to begin to talk about as well. Um, Yeah, so I hope you guys enjoy. Ashley, thank you so much for sharing. And here you go, Ashley's infertility story. Hi. Hi. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for chatting with me. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So this is Ashley, and she reached out to me over Instagram um, saying that she wanted to share her story. She sent me a little blurb about kind of a, a brief overview of, of her story so far, but I'm excited to get into it a little bit more. Um, so yeah, if you want to start at the beginning, kind of maybe did you always know you wanted kids or let's start Yeah, there. definitely. Um, I always, I was always kind of like the mom of the friend group sort of person. I'm very maternal. Um, I've always been that way. I've always been kind of an old soul is what people tell me. And, um, I was always drawn to kids. I didn't grow up with any younger siblings. I have a sister who is my dad's other daughter. Um, and we have about an 18 year age gap. So we did not grow up together. Um, we're close now, but, um, we didn't grow up together at all. So basically I grew up as an only child and I loved babysitting and I loved everybody's younger siblings. Um, and always thought babies were great. So from probably the time I was 11 or something, started babysitting. I was a nanny when I was in college um, and did my undergraduate degree in um, family and child sciences. So about like parenting and child guidance and um, child welfare and just things like that. So it's always been a big thing for me. Awesome. Cool. How did you meet your husband? We actually met online. Um, I like to say before online was cool because um, <laughs> we actually met in 2006. So we will be okay. together 14 years in July. Um, wow. And I'm 19. That's uh, yeah, we're, it's been a really long time. And um, we actually, I only went on an online dating site because it was something that like a friend's boyfriend at the time had mentioned. And he was like, oh, it's free. And you know, a bunch of people from Florida State, which is where we went to college, are on it. And I was like, okay. Um, so I joined. And um, 
I was actually looking at it one night. This was like the summer after my freshman year of college. And I was looking at like emails I had been getting from it. And I had been getting just stuff from like guys who could be my dad talking about like my boobs. And I'm like, okay, this is (laughs) no, thank you. (laughs) I was like, "Mm, I've had enough. It's time to close this thing up. And I happened to see this guy's profile and I clicked on it because I'm like, okay, this is somebody around my age. And I started reading it and what actually really attracted me to him because his picture was not that good. It was taken with a webcam. So all I could see was like this guy in front of a Guns N' Roses poster. I'm like, okay. (laughs) But um, I was reading his profile and he was talking about how he wasn't really like a big party person. That, which I'm not either, which I know mm-hmm. is kind of unusual, especially for a college student at the time. But, um, you know, I'm more like into, you know, going to movies and hanging out with friends in smaller groups and stuff like that. I'm not a yeah. huge drinker, partier person. Mm-hmm. And that's what he was talking about in his profile is he was like, you know, I really like movies and going out to dinner and I like to read and I like this and that. And, you know, I'm kind of a shy person. So I was like, wow, you never really see guys like this, especially at my age. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause I was 19. So I was like, okay, how, how old was he? You, he's older than he was you, you said. 20. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so pretty he close would have been age. 20. Cause like we're, we're not quite two years apart. So I think okay. he would have been 20 at the time. And, um, I reached out to him and was like, you know, Hey, you know, do you want to talk more and whatever? And I think that night we started talking on, um, AOL instant messenger <laughs> when that was a thing. Yeah. Um, started talking that way and spent probably about, we think it was probably about like three weeks or something talking there and talking on the phone. And, um, he asked me out and then I kind of tried to get out of it because it scared me. (laughs) Um, it just sort of freaked me out the idea of actually meeting him. And he was like, do you want to go get dinner and go to a movie? And I'm like, I'll go to a movie, but I don't think I want to do dinner. And he's like, why? And in my head, (laughs) I I was like, because I don't want to have to talk. (laughs) It just made me really nervous. I'm like, no, we can like sit in the dark and watch a movie. But I ended up agreeing to pizza in the food court of a mall. There you go. (laughs) And seeing a movie. And um, we were both like super nervous. But from the first date, I was like, this guy is so different from anybody else that I've ever met. Um, cause I wasn't a big, I have dated other people, but was never serious with anyone. Mm-hmm. And my husband is the same way. Um, we had both like gone on dates with people, but never got serious with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so from like the first date, I was like, something is different about this guy. And like, I don't want it to end. I really like him. And, um, we've been together ever since then. That's awesome. Where do you, where do you guys live? We are just outside of Orlando. Okay. Okay. So we we're both from South Florida. My husband's okay. from Miami and I'm from Fort Lauderdale. Um, so when we started dating, we were both home from Florida state, but we ended up, you know, we were at the same college. Oh, how funny. Um, yeah. So it, it worked out. We grew yeah. up probably about like an hour from each other our whole lives and, um, would not have met any other way. Yeah. Like there's, I don't think there's any other way our paths would have crossed at all. So, um, online dating kind of brought us together and then, um, we moved to Orlando after I graduated college to do, I wanted to do graduate school here, um, in Orlando at UCF and, um, my husband, boyfriend at the time, I kind of asked him, I was like, I'm going to move to Orlando and I'm going to do this. Like, do you want to go with me? And I was like, I can't ask you to like 
put your whole life on hold or whatever, if you have other plans, but like, do you want to come with me? And he was like, mm-hmm. yeah. So we moved and, um, we actually didn't end up, we didn't get engaged until like seven years into our relationship. So it was kind of a long time. Mm-hmm. And then we got married, um, in 2014 after being together for eight years. Okay. Did you guys talk about starting a family before you got married? Yeah, that was something that for me was always a non-negotiable and mm-hmm. I always wanted to make sure, I think I had a fear that like I would end up falling in love with somebody and then he'd be like, oh, but I really don't want kids. Yeah. Um, Cause I've seen that happen <laughs> to people mm-hmm. that I know and like people in our family and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm like, you never want to get stuck. Right. Um, so I was always like, do you want kids? And mm-hmm. he said that he did. Um, he's not a really big... Like, I think some men would really love children or just, he's not like that, but he always wanted his own kids. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we had talked about it. And when we got married, I had just finished graduate school and um, he had, he ended up doing his master's and finished before me, um, even though he started What, what were you guys getting your um, degrees in? Um, mine was in marriage and family therapy and I'm now a licensed mental health counselor and my husband did his, um, MBA. Oh, nice. Okay. So, um, so yeah, we finished that and I was starting my career when we got engaged as a counselor. It takes kind of a while. Every state is different, but, um, it takes a while to become a licensed therapist and you have to Mm -hmm. do, I had to do, um, two years of work working under a supervisor and you don't really make much money and yeah um it's kind of a difficult time you have to like pay your dues yeah so um after we got married i was doing that and um we didn't really we weren't like quite ready for kids at the time because it's like money was really difficult and my husband was kind of figuring out his job stuff too and um it wasn't really until probably a couple of years ago maybe like three years ago that I started saying like, okay, you know, at some point here, Mm -hmm. I want to have kids. And my husband had a lot of anxiety about it. Um, And he was like, that was, I'm sorry. Why, why do you think that was? Um, I think part of it is that he didn't really know what to expect from that. And obviously we know that that will change our lives significantly. Totally. And I think part of it too is my, my husband has Asperger's syndrome. Mm-hmm. So, which is a form of high functioning autism for people mm-hmm. who don't know. So with, with something like that, routine is very important and anything that's unknown or like not in the routine is something that's difficult for him. Mm-hmm. So kids are all about <laughs> the unknown and not in the routine. Right. Yeah everything. So that's, that was a really big thing that the two of us had to spend a lot of time kind of talking about and working through that. Mm -hmm. And we finally got to a point probably like two years ago where I said, look, I'm going to give you a year to like, whatever you got to do, whatever you have to clear off your plate, like to get your head ready for this. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to go off the pill. And he was like, okay. So that was kind of our agreement with that. Okay. So then that year would have brought you to when? So that was probably like the beginning of 2019. Okay. And in between that time, like right after we got married um, in 2015, I started having um, 
just, I felt, I, at one point I felt sick and mm -hmm. I felt like I was sick with something and I couldn't get rid of it. It was like a really like tired, my throat hurt, my body hurt kind of a thing mm -hmm. and, um, couldn't get rid of it. Couldn't figure out what it was. And I was getting to a point where I, I think I was going to have like a gap in my insurance because I had changed jobs. And I went to like a walk-in clinic and I told them what was going on. And I was like, look, I'm about to lose my insurance for a little bit. Like test me for everything. Mm -hmm. So they tested me for like stuff, even like HIV. Um, uh -huh. What was it? Like Lyme disease, yeah. all kinds of stuff, just like everything yeah. they could think of. And they could not figure out what it was. I was oh, thinking wow. maybe I had mono or something mm -hmm. like that. And they were like, no, it's not that. They couldn't figure it out. So when I got my kind of scary, job, yeah, it was yeah. definitely scary for me. And it just kept getting worse and worse. Um, like the pain would kind of spread throughout my body. At first I thought it was like headaches or tension headaches. Cause it was mostly like my head and my neck. Um, I went, when I got insurance back to neurologists, I had MRIs done. They never found anything like nobody could figure out what was going on. Um, I kept going back to my general practitioner and I was like, what do you think is going on? And one day she looked at like all the stuff we had done and she's like, I think this is autoimmune. Hmm. And she's like, you need to see a rheumatologist. And I went to one and the first one I went to looked at, um, looked at my stuff. He ordered more blood work and I came back to get the results. And he was basically like, um, I think you have fibromyalgia, mm -hmm. but what you really need to do is you need to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense to me mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because like I'm having pain like all in my upper body. And then it started to spread to my legs. Like if I had knee pain or something, okay. Right. Like I understand that. Or, you yeah. know, something where it's like, yeah. I'm bearing a lot of weight on this area. Sure. I understand uh -huh. And I was like, well, what about my blood work? Because you can see, that, since I have chronic illnesses, I know this, but maybe not everybody does. With lab work, you can register with whatever lab you're getting stuff done at, and you can see your results online like before you talk to your doctor. So okay. I had already seen them, and mm -hmm. I already knew like something was off. I didn't know what it meant, but I was like, there's okay. some stuff that's weird. Because okay. it tells you what's out of range. And I'm like, there's right. all this stuff that's out of range. Mm -hmm. We all have Google. So, of course, I've been Googling and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. And um, he was like, so I said to him, like, you know, what, what's this about? And he was like, none of that matters. And I said, well, what do you mean none of it matters? Yeah. He's like, none of, no, none of that matters. You need to lose weight and exercise. And I said, well, if I were a thin person, what would you say? And he freaked out. And he was like, wow. but you're not a thin person. I said, I'm aware of that, but I just want to know, like, yeah. what would you call anybody else in a different yeah. body? Like, what would you say this is? What's wrong with me? Yeah. And he just would not, he was like really upset and really worked up and stuff. And I was like, okay, so are we done here? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, we're done here. I'm like, okay. So I got a copy of all my stuff. I ended up going to a different rheumatologist and he looked at my stuff and said, your body, like your muscles are leaking enzymes. And he's like, and I don't know why, mm -hmm. but I need to do more testing. So he ran more tests and ended up finding out that I have, um, 
what is basically very early lupus. Okay. And I also did have fibromyalgia, but he found that I have lupus and we started doing treatment. And at that point, you know, I say all this because um, we found out after that, that any pregnancy I would have would be considered high risk okay. and would needed to be monitored by maternal fetal medicine. This is because of the lupus, not the fibromyalgia. Can you explain um, yeah, what lupus? Lup- okay. Can you explain what lupus is? So lupus is an autoimmune condition. So basically with autoimmune diseases, your body is attacking itself. And in the condition that I have, my body t- attacks my connective tissues. Mm-hmm. Um, some people with lupus, it will also attack their organs and they have like their kidneys and things like that. I do not have that issue. I'm very grateful at this point um, that my condition is not that severe. Um, I feel like we caught it pretty early and have been able to Mm -hmm. intervene pretty early. Um, So fortunately for me, that doesn't happen. But basically, my body attacks its own tissue. Okay. um, Which causes pain, which causes inflammation in the body, Mm -hmm. um, can cause fatigue, um, could could the lupus be like contributing to the fibromyalgia or are they completely separate things? They are different. You can have one without the other. I've had uh-huh. some people who say like, I didn't know you could have both. You can. Oh, okay. Um, fibromyalgia is a little bit different. I want to like look up what the actual definition of it is so I can speak more clearly on that. But- yeah. So I'm, I'm an occupational therapist and- oh, awesome. Yeah. And, um, I'm a pediatric occupational therapist, but when I was in school, one of my professors had fibromyalgia and she was like, what's hard is the diagnosis for it. It's like, it's, it's criteria. Like it's like a criteria diagnosis, right? So it's certain things that like you might check off, which makes Mm -hmm. it seem like probably everybody presents a little bit differently, which makes it hard to then diagnose. And sometimes fibro is kind of a diagnosis of exclusion. It's like once mm. they pull everything out and they still can't figure out what your problem is, they're like, you have fibromyalgia. Okay. Um, so sometimes it is kind of like that. And there are a lot of people who I've heard people say like they don't believe it's real, mm. that they think it's not even really like an issue. It's oh like all goodness. in somebody's head kind of stuff. Oh, wow. um, I definitely don't believe that because yeah. once, once you have it, it's just like, oh, this is definitely something. Yeah. Um, this is definitely real. But yeah, it's it's um, like widespread fibromyalgia is like widespread muscle pain and tenderness. There are certain points on the body that people with fibromyalgia will tend to feel more pain. So I'll go okay. to the doctor and they'll be like poking me like, does this hurt? Does that hurt? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> Stop poking me. <laughs> I'm like, it all hurts. Um, okay. So, you know. Yeah. How long did it take um, to kind of figure out what was going on? It was about, I want to say it was about eight months. Wow. And I had to be pretty persistent about mm-hmm. it. And um it was difficult, especially because I saw a lot of people that were very ignorant and um, it's kind of a theme too in my fertility story. When you're a larger person, you get a lot, there's a lot of stigma, especially Mm. in the medical community. And a lot of people will want to blame whatever is wrong with you on your size when it has absolutely nothing to do with that. Um, I joke around sometimes like I could have a rash on my face and they'll be like, well, you know, it's because you're fat. And I'm like, well, you know, but yeah. it has nothing to do with right. 
your size. So a lot of people kind of blew me off. I saw, I mean, I saw like neurologists. I saw all kinds of, I think I saw like three different neurologists, two different rheumatologists, saw my general practitioner, mm-hmm. um, you know, saw a lot of people. And I had people tell me like, you know, oh, you should take this because you'll lose weight. Or, oh, one guy said he thought I had sleep apnea, even though I have no symptoms for sleep apnea, and that that was what was causing all of my pain somehow, um, just because I'm a larger person. And I was like, Mm -hmm. well, I don't even snore. Like, my husband would know. Yeah, yeah. He was like, oh, no. Like, you know, he was basically trying to send me for a sleep study. And I'm like, no, that... That's not what this is. Yeah. So it took a long time and a lot of doctors and a lot of tests to really get um, down to the final answer with it. And then my doctor started treating me with medication, which um, it's interesting because with COVID-19 happening, the medication that I'm on is one that everybody's been talking about, which is hydroxychloroquine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, So the president has been talking about it and he's taking it and like, I'm like, wait, that's that's what I'm on. You're like, I'm good. <laughs> I'm also, I was like, I wish that was the cure for this. I then know. I'd be, I'd be all set. Right. But um, yeah, they put me on that um, at the end of 2015. And okay. um, basically, you know, I asked them, like, when I have kids, what what's that going to be like? And they said, yeah. we'll be high risk. We want to monitor you and the baby because there are risks for different things, including um like intrauterine growth restriction, meaning that the baby mm. does not grow as expected um, and kind of stops growing. They're going to want to monitor for that. Um, you know, those type of things are, are an issue. I think there are sometimes like heart issues and things like that too. So they just have to monitor for those kind of things. When we really started getting serious about wanting a family, I started talking to my doctor and saying like, mm-hmm. because I wanted kind of their blessing to yeah. move forward. I wanted to know if they felt like I was ready. And for a while, they kind of kept saying we would wait, we would wait. Okay. Um, because, Do you know why? Yeah, they, they would like ideally to see at least six months of either low disease activity or remission, which okay. um, I haven't gone into remission, but I was getting to where I was having lower disease activity and they were like, we want to wait more time. Okay. And then things did kind of start getting a little bit worse. So we were sort of trying new medications and going back and forth and um, they weren't totally okay with it for a while. They couldn't really Mm -hmm. give me an answer. Mm -hmm. And um, are the, was the medicine you were on, was that okay to be taken during pregnancy too? I know some medications you have to stop if you are trying to get pregnant. Yeah, with um, with Plaquenil, which is also hydroxychloroquine, um, with Plaquenil, they find that it's safer for moms to remain on that medication during pregnancy okay. rather than not taking it. So you do take it. Um, they basically told me, like, you will be on that the entire time. Like, you're not going to stop. It usually mm-hmm. takes, um, from what I understand, it takes a while to get it out of your system mm. anyway. Um, and then it takes a while when you first start, it takes about six months to like okay. really notice the difference. Mm-hmm. So even if you got pregnant and you got off of it, like you wouldn't, it would take a while. Gotcha. And it, um, when it becomes more of a risk during a pregnancy is when somebody's autoimmune condition flares. Mm. Um, and you're less likely to have flares if you remain on that. Gotcha. 
Okay. So, um, so they said I would be on it and they weren't really giving me much of an answer. So last, um, it's probably like May of 2019, I went to my OB and I went for my annual and I said, Hey, you know, I want to get pregnant. Here are my labs, like my most recent labs. What do you think about this? And they were like, we don't really feel like this is a big deal, but we don't want to say yes because I think it was too much of a liability for them. So they were like, let us refer you to maternal fetal medicine. So maternal and fetal medicine um, did what they call a pre-pregnancy consult. Mm -hmm. So I met with them a year ago and showed them my lab work and we sat down and we talked and basically we went through all of my health conditions because in in that amount of time, like in the four years between getting diagnosed with lupus and starting to have a family, I had, I like to joke that I collect chronic health issues. So I had found out that I also had gastroparesis, which is like paralysis of your mm -hmm. stomach. Okay. Um, so my stomach just does not digest food the way that it's supposed to. It kind of sits. And, um, that they believe was caused by lupus, that lupus uh -huh. kind of attacked my nerve that controls all that, which is your uh -huh. biggest nerve. Uh -huh. And um, so I started being treated for that in the meantime. And then I ended up finding out just before I started with um, my infertility stuff that I also have another autoimmune condition called ankylosing spondylitis, which is um, it attacks different joints in your body, but it's like, um, arthritis of your spine. Oh, wow. So I found out that I had that as well. So, um, it kind of, it definitely has shaped, you know, things in our journey yeah. because we had to make sure that we were all like, everything was going to be okay for me and for a baby during yeah. a pregnancy. Um, how are you doing with all that? I'm doing pretty well. Um, when I like even mentally, it, like how mentally that's a lot. Yeah, it definitely has been. And I think, um, I think a lot of that, I don't think I realized totally how it had an impact on me mentally until I started doing this infertility journey mm -hmm. because I realized that it definitely took a toll on my self-esteem and my self-image because I think I started seeing myself as someone who is sick um, because it's like you have to take medicine every day and sometimes, you know, multiple types of medicine. And there are days where I feel exhausted mm -hmm. and I would be at work and I would just like during my lunch, I would just go like lay down in the backseat of my car because I yeah. felt absolutely terrible and just didn't have energy. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, sometimes I would feel a lot more normal and feel better, but you kind of have to like revolve around when you feel good. Yeah. And like sometimes, you know, you don't do everything that you would normally do. And yeah. to be, you know, to be younger since I was diagnosed at like 27, 27, 28, um, I just never expected that I would get sick and not get better. Like, you know, especially at a young age. So yeah. I think, um, I think that took a toll on me. And I think also something I'm kind of working through now is just this idea that I realized I have that like my body can't do normal things. Mm. And then infertility, I think kind of reinforces that. Totally. 
because I'm yeah. so used to like all this screwed up stuff happening with my body. And yeah. then, you know, yeah, it's like this whole other layer and then added. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we, um, when I met with maternal fetal medicine, they looked at all of that and all of the medications I was on. And, um, they basically said, um, you know, he, he was really great because he was just like, okay, you know, they see, cause maternal fetal medicine sees like people with cancer who are pregnant, people right. who have really serious, like I'm sure whatever I brought to them was like small potatoes compared mm-hmm. to what they're used to. Yeah. So they looked at it and he was like, okay, like this is all doable. I don't think that your disease is in a bad place right now. Um, the medication that you're on, you know, like he was fine with the Plaquenil and stuff. And there was something else I was on at the time, which I've since gotten off of, but he was basically like, whatever you absolutely have to be on, you have to be on it. Right. Just, yeah. It, it just is what it is. And he yeah, was like, okay, we'll work with that. If there's anything you can get off of or lower the dose of without like hurting your health, yeah, go ahead and do that, which I have since mm-hmm. then. Um, and he was, you know, as far as like, we did talk about weight and things like that, because of course that's going to come up. I am a larger person. And he was basically like, look, here are the risks with a higher BMI as far as pregnancy goes. And here's what we would do to mitigate those risks. Um, like we would be look, you know, what we would be looking for with like gestational diabetes and the mm-hmm. birth of baby and weight gain and all that stuff. And we just had like a very matter of fact conversation about it. <laughs> Yeah. So, so that all went well, I felt Mm -hmm. like, and I was like, okay, so now that this guy has signed off on it and basically said, call me when you're pregnant, Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to go off the pill. We're good. So So they are there. They're like the maternal fetal medicine is there, um, to make sure it's safe to get pregnant. And then once you're pregnant, you go back to them. Yeah, he will be, he's the high risk specialist. So I just kind of wanted I really wanted his opinion because my rheumatologist was not giving me a right. clear answer. And okay. my OB's office was like, we don't want to touch that. Like, let's. Gotcha. Okay. So I felt like the best thing to do was to really get his. Yeah, totally. I agree. His blessing on that. So yeah, once smart. he felt good about it, um, I went off birth control. And I was on birth control for like 16 years, mm-hmm. which I think is, I hear that a lot from from other women. I think it's pretty Mm -hmm. common. And I had initially gone on birth control at 16 because my periods were completely irregular. Um, and my doctor at the time, my very first OB said, you are the poster child for PCOS. Oh, and, but they didn't, they did some ultrasounds, but they did not find cysts. And you don't have to have cysts to have PCOS, but they just basically were like, well, there's no cysts. We're just going to put you on birth control because that's what they would have done anyway. But they were like, we're just going to do that because basically I got my first period when I was 12 years old. I did not get another one for two years. Wow. Absolutely nothing. Um, Were you having other symptoms of PCOS? Like the, yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely have some of Well, I guess the, if being on birth control, maybe they would have like hindered harder, some of those It's definitely harder to tell with birth control. I did yeah. 
I did start gaining weight during puberty pretty significantly, mm-hmm. but I also, um, I also had an eating disorder. So I don't know if that was my eating disorder or if any of it had to do with PCOS, mm-hmm. but I definitely had issues with weight. I was really skinny as a kid. And then, um, probably around age like nine or 10 started putting on weight. I developed mm-hmm. pretty early. Um, so I was almost like somebody in like this woman's body who was like 13 years old. Right. Um, you know, so it developed really quickly that way. I definitely had some of the hair growth and things like mm-hmm. that in the places it shouldn't be. But I'm also, I was also like, well, I'm Cuban and Italian. So it's like, <laughs> we're, we're all some, yeah. some hairy people. So <laughs> I was like, well, yeah. you know, who knows? Um, so I had things like that. The, the periods was a really big thing. And I know my mm-hmm. mom had even taken me to an endocrinologist and was like, what's going on with this? And okay. Nobody's does anybody in your family, that. does anybody in your family have um, sim- similar things like your regular periods or was diagnosed with PCOS? No, my mom, my mom actually got her period really early and definitely had issues with it. And I think had issues with irregularity. And my mom also had problems getting pregnant with me. Okay. Um, we just don't know why. Mm-hmm. But my mom, it took three years to have okay. me. So um Yeah. My mom definitely had some issues with that, but we don't know if it was PCOS or something Mm. different. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, there, there were definitely things from my, like early in my childhood and stuff in like my teenage years that Mm -hmm. were signs that there were issues. Okay. So, um, I had been on birth control all that time to Mm -hmm. give me periods because otherwise I was just not going to get them. Right. Um, so I went to my OB last year and I said, Hey, um, you know, I want to get pregnant. And they said, okay. Um, we went off the pill and did all that. And I went back to them like six weeks later. I know you're supposed to wait three months after you get off the pill, but I'm impatient. And, um, I was concerned because I got off the pill and nothing happened. Like I had some spotting and stuff, but that was all. I did not get a period. And I also hadn't gotten a period on the pill in over a year. Okay. And I usually did. I know that's normal. Now I've been told by doctors that that is not abnormal to not have periods on the pill. I had always gotten them regularly on the yeah, pill. Yeah, I didn't know that that was the thing that you maybe you won't. Yeah, for me, I oh, went like starting in – probably summer of 2018 until I got off the pill, I did not have a period at all. Mm. And I was saying, I said stuff to the doctors about it because I noticed that they started coming less frequently and there were bigger gaps between them. And then it just completely stopped. And I was concerned and I was like, is something yeah. wrong? like, no, it's fine. So I was like, okay. And then we got off the pill and it didn't come back. Mm. And I was like, knowing my history, I don't think it's going to. So I went to the doctor again and and said, Hey, like my period has not come back. I have not had periods in, you know, over a year. I'm very concerned. Like, what do we do? And they were like, well, we're going to trigger your period with Provera, which is a progesterone pill. So we did that for 10 days. I did have a bleed. So they were like, okay, well, you know, you had a bleed and that's good. And I said, well, what do I do now? 
because I'm trying to get pregnant. And they're like, well, you know, take tests and see if you ovulate and take a prenatal. Good luck. And I was, <laughs> which I think is pretty common from what yeah, I've heard. I heard yeah. a lot of people, your OBs like, well, have fun. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I was just like, that's not going to work. I just had this feeling like this is not going to work. And, um, I wrote back to them and I was like, well, I don't have any evidence that I ovulate. So what do I do? Like, what, what do we do now? And I never really got a response. Like nobody responded. So I decided, I think all of my years of dealing with chronic illness, I was just like, I'm going to, um, I'm going to refer myself <laughs> to a reproductive endocrinologist because mm-hmm. I'd had friends who had gone to them before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, let me just see an RE. And, um, I got an appointment with someone, um, last fall. So fall of 2019 and, um, met with her the first time. And she was like, let's do blood work. This sounds like this is probably PCOS. Um, but you know, we'll check it out and we'll see. And, um, so we went ahead and did that and the blood work came back and I have high testosterone which makes sense because mm-hmm. um, I do get like the abnormal hair growth and um, testosterone also makes it hard to lose weight, um, makes it easier to put weight on, um, which made a lot of sense to me. They also mm-hmm. checked my A1C, which was, um, which is like that accumulation of your blood sugar. And um, mine was only a little bit elevated. It was not diabetic level. It was like 0.1 above what is normal. Okay. But had a little bit of that. Um, and they were like, we want to put you on metformin. So I said, I was fine with that. And then the doctor said, well, you know, we're going to put you on birth control. And, and I was like, well, why would I be on birth control? And, she, mm-hmm. and she's like, well, you know, until you're ready to get pregnant. And I said, no, I've, I've already been trying. And she's like, oh, you're not ready to get pregnant. I said, what do you mean? And she said, you're not going to, you aren't ready to get pregnant because your BMI is too high. This is the RE. Yeah. Right. Okay. And I was like, um, okay, but I don't like, I was like, I don't understand. And she said, well, you don't, when we did your ultrasound, we saw all these eggs. Like there's obviously a lot of that. And she's like, you don't ovulate on your own as far as we can tell. And like, yes, um, I, I was, I knew that. <laughs> right. I was like, I figured not, but okay. Yeah. And she's like, you're going to need medication to ovulate and get pregnant. Why is my cat here? <laughs> um, but we're not going to give that to you because your BMI needs to be 45 or less. And I was like, I, I was just like devastated, like shocked yeah. and devastated. And I had I had an idea that that was a possibility mm-hmm. um, because I have heard there are some clinics that do have weight restriction on treatment. Um, did they tell you why? Like, did she say no. why it needed to be under a certain number? No, I know that, you know, I mean, she mentioned, you know, that you are the same kind of the same things I had discussed with the maternal fetal medicine, which is that, you know, you are at somewhat of a higher risk for things like gestational diabetes, Mm -hmm. um, you know, higher blood pressure during pregnancy, having a larger baby, things like that. 
but um and they just don't want like that liability or something I think that's part of it. And the more that I've looked into it with fertility Mm -hmm. clinics, the more that I've been seeing that part of it does have to do with their success rates and statistics. And they do not feel, and in some studies, larger patients are not as successful. And they want their numbers to be like really good. Right. And they want high, high numbers of success. So there are a lot of clinics who will say, even lower numbers than what she put out, which is like your BMI has to be 40 or 35 or, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So some places are extremely restrictive with things like that. And I was just, I was blown away because I was like, you know, it, it felt to me, I told my husband, it felt like gatekeeping. It felt like somebody was saying like, and essentially she was, you can't have kids without help, but I won't help you. Yeah. And I was like, well, I remember even asking her, like, how many pounds is that? Like, how many pounds is what I have to weigh to be at whatever number you want? And she didn't even know. So it wasn't even like a specific idea of like, I want yeah. you to 40, 40 pounds or whatever it yeah. was. It was just like, it has to be this number. And what BMI actually is, like when you look at it, because I was looking at this yesterday, BMI is actually your weight in pounds times 703 divided by your height in inches squared. It's a math equation. Yeah. That's what BMI is. And it's sad to me and what a lot of people run into, especially if you're in a larger body, is that people use it as this indicator of health uh-huh. and weight is not the sole indicator of health. Yeah. There are people who are considered overweight and obese who are athletes, Yeah, you know, on that scale. Yeah. And there's people who are really thin and are not, and are not healthy. <laughs> right. I yeah. have very thin friends who are like size two or size zero who they eat a lot of McDonald's. Yeah. It's like I could sit here and eat a salad or do whatever, but the person who's going to get looked at like they're unhealthy is me. Yeah. And there's just a lot of, of weight discrimination and stigma. And there's a lot of that in infertility treatment, unfortunately. Yeah. And so when I ran into this with her, I was like, I was trying to talk to her and I'm like, listen, like I'm willing to see a dietitian. I'm willing to, you know, to work on losing weight in a healthy way. Um, because of my eating disorder, I am very careful about what it is that I do because I've done a lot of restrictive dieting mm-hmm. and I've hurt myself that way, right. um, physically and emotionally. And, you know, I'm willing to do stuff to be as healthy as possible because I want a healthy baby and I want to totally. be as healthy as I can be. Yeah. But I'm not willing to do it in a way that messes up what I've done with my eating disorder recovery. So I'm not willing to do, I could do a crash diet and lose like 40 pounds or whatever. Right. But how good is that for me and how long is that going to last? Yeah. So I explained that to her and she was basically like, she had two diets that she was okay with and both of them are basically fad diets. And I was oh. like, I can't eat half the food on there because my stomach doesn't operate the way it's supposed to. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, I can't eat stuff that's like high in fat, um, like eating was like it? high fat, low carb, whatever. Okay. Low carb is fine, but I can't eat like all these high fat foods and stuff right. because it really messes with my stomach. 
Um, I can't eat like seeds and nuts and stuff like that. I'm not even supposed to eat raw vegetables. Okay. I do. Um, Mm -hmm. because it's like, I try to be as healthy as I can. And you know, that does include fruits and vegetables, Mm -hmm. but I'm not even supposed to eat like salad because Mm -hmm. it's harder for your stomach to digest. Yeah. So I'm like, I have to figure out with, with a professional how to eat in the healthiest way possible in a way that also works for my body, Mm -hmm. which is what I ended up doing after I saw that doctor is I found a registered dietitian who has spent like decades working with maternal fetal medicine and working with mothers and things like that, who understands eating disorders and is familiar with gastroparesis. And I work with her now, which is amazing. amazing. That's awesome. Best thing I ever did. I wish I had done it a million years ago. Um, And that has been great for me because I have been able to normalize my eating and find a way to eat that in a way that works for PCOS Mm-hmm. Um, because with PCOS, it's harder because of insulin resistance. You have to watch your carbohydrates. It's not right. that you can't have them. You can, but you have to do it in smaller amounts and really focus more on protein and fat um, to balance out those carbohydrates. Otherwise, I know for me, I definitely feel it. Like if I've had too much sugar, I feel it, especially on metformin. I'll mm-hmm. get like a headache, I'll feel dizzy. Um, I definitely feel that change. So I've been able with working with that dietitian to kind of figure out, you know, this is how I need to eat to be healthier. And I have lost some weight through that, but it's not going to be the same kind of weight loss or as fast as doing some kind of restrictive diet or like a crash diet or something. Right. Like that. It's just not going to work that way. Mm-hmm. So um, I then... I I was really devastated by that meeting and I was like, what am I going to do? And I started um, looking into it more because I was like, am I going to run into this with everybody? Like, is everybody going to be like this with me? And I started looking into it more and um, I found out that actually um, ASRM, which is the, I think it's American Society for Reproductive Medicine. Yeah. And also the Society for Assisted Reproductive Technology. They don't have, they have not established guidelines regarding weight and whether patients who are larger should be declined for treatment. So they have no opinion on that, mm-hmm. that they've published. So it's not like these big, Um, organizations who are over all of this kind of treatment have gotten together and said, like, this is absolutely not okay. Right. They have no opinion. So it's really up to these individual doctors. So I was like, okay, let me see what I can figure out. So I made another appointment, another couple of appointments with doctors in my area. And I also found that there are clinics. um, One of them is CNY in New York. Yeah. Um, There are clinics that do not have those restrictions at all. So I was like, if I have to fly to New York <laughs> to have this baby, then that, that is what we will do. I was like, determined, like, we're going to figure this out. Yeah. And I went to um, another doctor last fall and um, met with him and we had a whole conversation and we talked for a long time and he was like walking me through all the different levels of treatment. And at the end of it, I said, are you really going to do this for me? And he was like, what do you mean? And I'm like, like, I'm like, all of this is great, but are you actually going to let me do it? Because I just saw this other doctor and she won't let me do any of those things. And that's why I'm here. 
Yeah. So if you're talking to me about this and I do this testing you want me to do, I just want to know, like, are we doing this? Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he said, that's what I do. And I was like, oh my God, like, and just talking about it, I have like full body chills because it's, it's extremely difficult as a person in a larger body for doctors to treat you like you're human. I hate to say that, but Mm -hmm. it's true. And that's, and it's not fair because I don't care how healthy or not healthy someone is or what size they are. Nobody has the right to make you feel like you're less than somebody else. Like everybody deserves the same quality healthcare. Yeah. Quality treatment. Why do you think that is? Like, why do you think they're, do you think it's lack of education? Do you think it's, social like I think there's a lot of stigma um out there against larger people I think it's one of the last acceptable prejudices that we have Mm. you know like certain things we know we can't we're really not supposed to make fun of yeah or judge people for or things like that but the way we do that with weight we don't have those same societal like uh, rules about how we treat people of larger sizes. Mm-hmm. And when we come, a, when we come at somebody for their weight or say something about their diet or their food choice or the size that they are, it's some people say, well, they're just concerned about you. Like they care about your health, you know, things like that. It's kind of excuse like, oh, it's because they care. We mm-hmm. want you to be healthier. Or, you know, things like that. And it's not because it's not like, oh, that person's ignorant because that is what it is. It's an issue of, you know, it's not about my health that you say things like that to me or that somebody yells at me from their car or that a doctor says those things to me. People have said, doctors like professionals have said horrible things to me over the years for that. At whatever weight I've been at, even way smaller than I am now. Yeah. Um, And they feel like it's okay to do that. And it's not okay. And we found, um, I was, I was actually able to, um, to participate in writing this. um, There was this anthology that was published a few years ago called The Politics of Size. And I wrote an article about bias in the medical field against against that. And one of the things I did in the research that I did was talking about how, you know, studies have shown that doctors actually treat their larger patients differently. They spend less time with them. They listen to them less. They're less empathetic towards those patients. Um, There's such a big difference. And we've also noticed that weight shaming and stigma basically it leads to weight gain in patients and people Mm. also don't seek out regular medical care. Mm. So it, it makes a really big difference um, when you treat people like that. And I think it has to do with our society and weight stigma and the way we look at people in larger bodies and the fact that we judge them and we say, just by looking at somebody that person's not healthy. Mm-hmm. But looking at me, you don't know what I eat. Totally. You don't know if I exercise. You don't know anything about me just 
by the fact that I wear a larger size. Yeah. And just like, I can't look at you and say, oh, she must work out like five times a week or she must do ever. That may be true, but it also may be not. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, we can't, we can't yeah. really assume, but we do. And I feel like society kind of encourages that. Like we have these, we have all these shows on that are about like really fat people and losing weight and you know, all this stuff. And it's sort of like, basically what you're telling people is like, larger bodies are bad. And if you're in a mm-hmm. larger body, then you must be doing something wrong. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of that. So important. I'm so happy that you're talking about this because I feel like it's so important to talk about. Thank you. I yeah. really feel like it is too. And it's Yeah, I appreciate like- it. Yeah, no, that's why it's why I wanted to be here because I just feel like I wish that somebody had been out there saying that to me like mm-hmm. when I've been going through all this because there's not a lot of that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like, you know, oh, well, if you do this diet, like I did this diet and I lost this amount of weight and now I'm pregnant and whatever. And it's like, if that happened to you, that's wonderful. Yeah. But that's not the path that everybody's going to go down. And it doesn't mean that I deserve to be a mother any less than yeah. somebody else does. Totally. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So now that you you found this doctor that sounds like a great doctor and person, um, so where have that has that gone since that meeting? So since then, we um, I met with him. We got my periods started, and then once we started that, we did in December. We did our first cycle with um, Femera, okay. which is also Letrozole. Yeah, um, if people are familiar with that, to basically trigger me to ovulate. Um, and we did that with timed intercourse and monitored cycles. So we did a lot of um, transvaginal ultrasounds. Mm-hmm. And um, that actually worked really well for me from the beginning. I was very fortunate. Um, I know not everybody has success on that, mm-hmm. but I started ovulating with that from the beginning. Oh, great. Um, so we did our first three cycles of that, um, back to back. And I noticed that once I started ovulating on the femera, I started getting periods. I started okay. having like regular periods with no yeah. problem. Okay. So I guess that has something to do with it as mm-hmm. far as why I wasn't getting them before. I don't think I was ovulating at all, which when I met with this doctor, my current doctor, originally he said like, the same thing as the first doctor said, like, I don't think you ovulate. If you do, it's with no predictable pattern. Yeah. Yeah. So we like, we have to do things in with this medication. Mm -hmm. Um, so we did that and, and that's a pill, right? It's a pill you take. Okay. Yeah. So you take it, um, from some doctors do different days. I do day three through seven of my cycle. So on day three of my cycle, every month I go in and do a baseline ultrasound to make sure I don't have any ovarian cysts. Mm-hmm. Um, and they um, basically say start taking Femira. So you take that from days three through seven, and then you go back. Um, I usually go back around day 12. They start looking at follicles developing. And then we start going from there as far as um, ovulation testing. And then sometimes I do have to go back in and do more. I usually have to do more ultrasounds to kind of see where we are 
as they develop. And then they basically, um, you know, tell us when we should have sex and try. And then we do, um, you know, we wait the two weeks and test and then Mm -hmm. go from there. So we did that, um, for three cycles and the third cycle, I started having more than one follicle. Um, the first two, I only had like one, the second one, I was like, I had these two follicles that were mature and I was like looking at it and like thinking about twins and I was Mm -hmm. really excited. And I, I was like, oh, well now we have even more chances, you know, for a baby. And I was really excited. And when we weren't pregnant after that cycle, I was just real. I was like angry. I was just like, what, what the hell is going on that we, you know, we had these follicles, everything was great. So I said to my husband, cause my husband had been kind of resisting doing a semen analysis and mm-hmm. my doctor had wanted to from the beginning. Um, he was like, I think he said like 40 to 45% of the time it's male factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, it makes sense to test him. And I said, my husband is going to be weird about it. <laughs> Cause I think they all think nothing's wrong with them. Or at least yeah. <laughs> it, that's what ours is. Male. We have male factor infertility and it was like a complete shock to my husband. He yeah. did not think that it was going to, anything was going to show up. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that makes sense. I think because yeah. I think for, for men, they don't experience at least with most issues, like the physical stuff that women do, like mm-hmm. if we're not getting our period or, you know, I've got like hair growing on my chin and stuff, obviously there's something happening, but for right. a guy, like what, how would you know? Yeah. Yeah. So my husband was like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. But after the third cycle, I was like, dude, it's your turn because (laughs) I've done so many things. Yes. I was like, I've had dates with, I call her Wanda, (laughs) dates with the ultrasound wand. I've been touched everywhere. I've been taking these pills. Like it is your time. So he got tested and, um, they said, if it's perfect, like we'll call you, but if it's not, you need to come in. And when they called him and asked him to come in, I was like, Oh shit. Mm. I was like, I can't believe now we've got something else. So we met with our doctor in March and he was basically like, I was really worried about sperm count, which I know like from listening to your podcast, like you guys have dealt with that. Yeah. A lot lot of people do. Yeah. And for, for my husband, it's not the count. The count is fine. It's the, only, I think it was only 34% of them move in a progressive direction. So they're moving the right way, like doing the right thing. And then only 2% of them are normal. So most of okay. the sperm are with the morphology. So okay. he has really low morphology. Most of them are not normally shaped, okay. um, which can cause issues with being able to penetrate the egg, right. obviously the movement issue and the shape is ca- can cause issues with actually being able to get up there. Yeah. The egg. So even though um, the count and stuff is fine, all the other stuff is, um, is not helping. Mm-hmm. It's not something that the doctor didn't seem like it was anything that we couldn't overcome, but um, it definitely doesn't help. So he's been for the last few months taking supplements and stuff like that to yeah. hopefully improve some of those things. The doctor did talk about IUI. Okay. Um, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. That's something, um, 
I would probably like to do. And we're kind of looking at more, Mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, so there is a male factor issue too. And I wish, and I guess for anybody out there who's listening, like do it, like go get tested, do it early if you haven't done Mm -hmm. it yet, because um, a lot of times there is something else going on and sometimes you can help and do something about it. And then sometimes, you know, you have to do other things, but at least that way you know. Yeah. Um, so we did that and, um, then we started the fourth cycle and I just kind of, I was hoping, I think after the third cycle didn't work that my doctor was going to want to do something else. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, after like my husband's test results and stuff came back and the doctor was basically like, I don't think, I don't think it's necessarily bad that you haven't gotten pregnant yet. Um, I think we should do three more. And I was kind of like, I was kind of pissed, even though I, like, I liked my doctor. I was just kind of like, this isn't going to work. I don't know why we're wasting our time. Mm -hmm. You know, I just wanted to like move on to something else. And I did the fourth cycle and I was like, I'm not even going to take a test because I don't, I don't care. I was just over it. And day 14 after I ovulated came around and I was like, I guess I'll test. And it was the latest I had waited uh, ever. Yeah. To do it. I was like, I'm just going to get it over with. And I took a test. It was one of those little, like, cheap little strip things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's something here. And it was like, <laughs> you could barely see it. And my, I showed it to my husband. And my husband's like, I don't see anything. I'm like, I'm telling you. Because I don't even get <laughs> I was like, I don't even get like app lines. I don't get like anything. Yeah. So there's, I'm like, something is here. This is weird. And I was like, okay, after I finish work, cause at this point, you know, the quarantine and stuff happened. So I'm working from home. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to get a different kind of test. And I went, I got like an early pregnancy test and came home and took that. And you could definitely see a second line. And I was like, oh my God. And my husband's like, but it's really light. I'm like, I know, but that's like, I'm like, that's okay though. Cause it's mm-hmm. there. The fact mm-hmm. that it's there means like something is going on. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it's kind of weird looking back on it now, but at the time I was like, well, either I am pregnant or I was like at some point I was. And I was like, I had been saying to him, I was like, maybe it's like a chemical pregnancy or something like mm-hmm. a very early miscarriage, but I was like, it, this is definitely positive. And, um, I had been having symptoms, but because I have gastroparesis and have stomach issues, I didn't know that they were symptoms. Cause mm-hmm. you usually get with that, like I'll get nausea or bloating or, you know, like all those things. So I'm used to that. Mm-hmm. And I had noticed I had had like a lot of bloating and I was like burping a lot for some reason, which is unusual for me. And mm-hmm. I just didn't think anything of it. I had really horrible heartburn like the week before I found out. That's another thing with gastroparesis. So I was like, I'm just having a really bad flare of, mm-hmm. of this condition. Didn't think anything of it. I had been getting, um, I had been having cramping which I thought was my period, but it was kind of weird because when I would get up and change positions, I would really feel it. And it would be, Mm. it was really weird. It was almost like, 
I don't want to say contraction like as in labor, but it would get strong and peak and then it would like fade out. Hmm. And it would happen a lot if I would like get up out of the car or get up off the couch or something, I would start feeling it. And I was like, this is very weird. But I just thought it was my period. Mm-hmm. And then I find out I'm pregnant. So I was like, okay, oh my God. So I called the next day, called my doctor and said like, I, I'm pregnant. I have a test. And they were like, okay, come in and we'll do a beta. So they went in and they did um, the beta HCG test to test if I was pregnant And I got a call later that day and they said, yes, you're pregnant and confirmed that it was positive. So they said, let's go ahead. This was like a Thursday. They said, let's go ahead on Monday and do another one. So I told my husband we were pregnant and we both just like could not believe it. And my husband, I think, was just in like a total state of shock. Um, We were both wrapping our heads around it. And that weekend, um, we told my mom my mom and, um, and her wife, and they were both like completely beside themselves, like so excited. Um, cause mm-hmm. obviously my mom has no other children. I'm, you know, an only child for her. So this is like her first grandbaby. And she was just like, they were both just beyond excited. My mom went out like in the middle of the quarantine to like, she ordered online from Barnes and Noble and picked it up like a stack, like huge of pregnancy books and pregnancy mm-hmm. books and just all this stuff. She was just absolutely thrilled. Um, so I told some, some of my friends like who knew that we were going through infertility, Mm -hmm. um, told some of them was like, Hey, it's very early, but you know, we are pregnant. Um, I had looked at like a bunch of different apps and calculators and stuff. And basically I was due, um, like right before Christmas, December 22nd. So we were going to have a Christmas baby and, um, we were just really excited. And I went and my husband and I said, okay, you know, we'll do this second test on Monday. And if everything goes well, we'll tell like my dad and his mom and things like that. And we did the second test and, um, they didn't call me Mm. and that was unusual for them. Cause usually they call like the same day mm-hmm. and I said, well, you know, maybe the lab is backed up because of COVID and, and all this stuff. And, but I said to my husband, I was like, what if they're not calling because the doctor wants to call me himself? Mm. Well, and like the lab used to, would call you or something? Or no, like my doctor, my RE. But before, for like Before other it would be the nurse. Oh, okay. Like one of the nurses would usually call, but, um, I was like, what if it's the doctor who wants to call me? And that's why they haven't called. Mm -hmm. And my husband's like, no, no, I think it's going to be fine. And like seven something in the morning, the next morning, uh, I get a phone call and I saw it was the fertility clinic and I pick it up. And when I heard my doctor's voice, I was like, oh no, I was like, this has to be. And he said, Ashley, I'm really sorry, but you're having a miscarriage. And he said the number went, you know, the HCG number went down to 10, um, which it was kind of low. It was on the low side to begin with, but they didn't feel that it was low for where I was in pregnancy. Um, But just the fact that the number went down, he was like, it went down to 10. I'm so sorry. Um, You know, this is something that happens a lot. It's normal. And I was just like, absolutely hysterical. Um, I was just bawling and could barely talk to him. And 
like he was like trying to figure out what questions I was asking and answering them. He was really sweet. And he was basically just like, look, you know, um, when, when everything starts, like when you're, you're basically going to get your period. And when that happens, you know, you can like, we can start this again. And, um, so, you know, we hung up the phone. I called my husband. And when I called my husband, I was like, I could not talk. I was just sobbing. And he was like, what is going on? And I said, the doctor called. And that's like all I could say. And my husband was on the phone. Like, what did he say? Like, what did he say? And I was crying like so hard. He's like, do I need to turn around? Do I need to come home? Like, yes, he was on his way to work. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, no, you know, don't do that. But um, I... I think, you know, everybody goes through a lot of things in their life and I've been through trauma and a lot of things like that. But the way that I felt that day, I don't know if I've ever cried that much about anything. Um, it's, it's just the worst. It was the worst feeling um, because we worked so hard for this and yeah you know, we thought we were finally there and we're just so excited about it. And our families were excited and just, we thought it finally happened and we were so excited for this baby. And even though it was very early on that, you know, that child is real to you. Yeah. You know, like a lot of, there are a lot of people out there who'll be like, Oh, you know, so early and it's not really a baby and all these kind of things. And I'm like, whatever you want to call it, that embryo, that whatever, you know, that baby, that was real to me. That was, that was our child. Yeah. And definitely. it will always mean something to me and I'll never forget that. That will always be my first pregnancy. And unfortunately it just didn't, um, end the way that we hoped that it would. Um, but it was really, it's, it's been really difficult and I still have my moments cause it was only, yeah. it's only been like a month by this point. Yeah. Um, since that happened with us, but, um, it's just devastating. And I can't, I, I know with the infertility community, there are a lot of women out there who've been through this more than once. And my heart just goes out to, to them and to everybody mm -hmm. who goes through this. Cause it's just, it's a really different, it's a really different kind of loss, mm -hmm. I think, than other things that I've experienced in life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Thank you. How are you guys doing now? How do you feel like? We're pretty good. My husband, for my husband, I think it was a bit different. Like I know it was yeah, sad. Yeah, how was that for him? It was sad for him too. I, I was checking in with him about it and he basically said to me, you know, I, he had such a hard time like wrapping his head around the fact that we were pregnant. Mm -hmm. that it just hadn't fully settled into him yet. Mm -hmm. And then by the, then when we found out that we were losing the pregnancy, it was just like, he still hadn't totally accepted that it was happening to begin with. So for mm. him, I don't think it was as emotionally difficult. I think what was more concerning for him was me because mm -hmm. he saw how depressed and upset I was. Yeah. Um, and he was, you know, really good about being supportive of me and, what I was going through and all of that. Um, so for him, I think it was a bit different, but, yeah. um, you know, he was really respectful of everything that I wanted to do because mm -hmm. I was saying to him, like, I feel like I didn't have a whole lot of time to decide if I wanted to, 
to go ahead and do the next cycle or not. Mm. Um, because it was basically like the day after I got that phone call is when everything started. And, and basically oh, wow. my period and the miscarriage started like right after that. Uh-huh. Um, so I was like, I don't know. I was kind of like, I don't know what I want to do. Yeah. Mentally, I was like, I am not ready for this. Like, I didn't want the idea of like having sex again freaked me out. The idea of like anybody touching me was just like not cool with me. Um, Yeah. I ended up going to the doctor anyway. And I was like, I'm just going to go. I'm going to take the Femera because I know for me, like, that's how I get periods mm-hmm. is ovulating and stuff like that. So I was like, well, right. I don't want to trigger a period. Let me just do this. And even if we don't have sex or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my husband was really respectful of that. And he was like, whatever you want. Like, if you want to do it, fine. Mm-hmm. If you don't, that's fine too. Like mm-hmm. he's like, whatever you need to do, well, that's how we'll do it. Um, so we went ahead and we did that cycle and we did try, we didn't, um, we didn't get pregnant. Um, so that was last month. And, um, then this month, unfortunately, I found out today that my cycle was canceled because, um, I have a cyst on my right ovary. Mm. So they said we can't, um, we can't do Femera this month. So we can't really try. I have to be on birth control. Um, so this would have been the sixth cycle. Do they, so they don't want you to even potentially get pregnant with a cyst? Is that why you have to be on it or just because like why you have to be on birth control or is that just to? I think it helps to reduce the cyst and hopefully have the cyst go away. I think the hormones help to reduce that. Um, so they want me to start that and hopefully we'll get rid of the cyst and then when I'm done with this pack of birth control pills, they are hoping my period will start. Um, because of my history, I'm a little like, I don't know if it's going to start or not. I hope it yeah. does. Yeah. Um, if it doesn't, we will have to trigger one, which is just annoying and takes more time because uh-huh. it takes like you're on the, you're on progesterone pills for two weeks oh, and then yeah. you have to wait for your body to, you know, notice the withdrawal in the hormones and start it. And sometimes for me, that takes like another two weeks. So it oh, can yeah. be like a month just to get, yeah. just to get a period. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping it will start on its own uh, after that. And we will try again in July. You mean uh, the same protocol that you guys have been doing? That's what I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. kind of, I'm kind of back and forth on like, should I talk to my doctor about doing IUI now? Mm-hmm. Or should we just do this six cycle because we said that's how we were going to do, um, mm-hmm. do it and then go from there. Um, but it's hard because it's like, I am, I think I feel weird about, um, just the fact like my birthday's coming and I'm turning 33. Um, and it's just like the older I get, the more I'm just like, we got to hurry up and do this thing. Yeah. Totally. Also now, you know, it, it will be by the time we get to do this again and try this again, it will be over a year that we've been trying. And mm-hmm. even though that's considered like, you know, normal for um, a lot of doctors and stuff out there, the fact that we found out that we were infertile pretty early on. Yeah. We've been on this journey and doing treatment for like half that time. Yeah. Like in treatment. So 
I just feel like, I don't know, I kind of feel impatient with it, I think. And mm-hmm. um, obviously there's a lot of folks out there who do this for many years. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of wondering because of the male factor issues that we have just with the um, morphology and motility, if yeah. better to maybe do something like IUI. Right. Um, I know we did have some success in the fact that we were able to get pregnant, but mm-hmm. the more, <laughs> I feel like the more I look at that, that paper from my husband's test, the more I'm like, were we just really lucky? Mm-hmm. Like, which I honestly think like, and I've heard other people say it's a miracle. This stuff happens at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Totally. It's, it's so crazy. Yeah. So, um, I guess we'll see what we end up doing yeah. ultimately, but, um, we will either be doing IUI at some point or continuing our protocol, but at some point, um, you know, if this doesn't work again, we will move on. Yeah. And see whatever the next thing is. And um, we'll just keep going with it until hopefully we have our baby. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wish you so much luck. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's, it is crazy. Like the, how people do get pregnant is pretty crazy because the chances are, if you think about everything that goes into it, it's a lot of things that go into it. It really is. There's a lot yeah. more than people know. And it's funny talking to my friends who have never had issues because yeah. um, like some of my friends just didn't even think about it and they just got off the pill or got off whatever and just happened for mm-hmm. them. And they're like, oh, I never knew that there was mm-hmm. all this stuff with sperm or I never knew that, you know, this is what happens when you ovulate. It's just yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know one silver lining to come out of this for those of us who are going through this is we learned, we've learned a lot about our bodies and about <laughs> how the information that isn't really taught, um, that should be taught. I think I a big piece of it is lack of education for yes. people. I agree. I really wish that we were taught, we were teaching women more about their body, yeah. about their fertility, because mm-hmm. if I had known, if I had really thought about it and I'd really realized like, that this might be an issue, I probably would have started investigating it all a lot sooner and kind of yeah. figured out like, hey, when we're ready, what do we need to do? Like, what do I need to be prepared for? And if yeah. I'd known I would go through this, I would have definitely said to my husband at a much earlier point in my life, like, we got to get going because I have fertility issues. And so yeah, he, yeah, I wish yeah. we had started sooner because yeah. you think you have time but right. then, you know, even, and I'm, I'm still, you know, fairly young, I think, but it's like, mm-hmm. it feels, <laughs> yeah. the closer you get to like 35 and 40, the more. It I know, I know. Cause they make 35 is like 35 after that, then you're a, a different kind of pregnancy and a different kind of patient. Exactly. It, it makes yeah. it, unfortunately it makes a difference. So it's yeah. like, I wish we could all, you know, have a better hold on um, our health and our fertility. We don't really teach women about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one good piece of advice of just doing some research. Like I've had friends reach out to me who've, who aren't trying to get pregnant or anything, but they have said, Oh, I've listened to your podcast and like, I'm learning so much about like when I am at that place of where I'm starting to think about it, of things that I'll look out for or questions I'll ask. And so doing that research ahead of time, even if it's not in your near future is I think really valuable. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
I'm curious what advice I had actually one of my friends who was like, ask people like, what's a piece of advice that they would have given themselves. And maybe this is kind of what we just said, but like at the beginning of your, um, of your journey, like a piece of advice, if you could tell your, your previous self something, what would you tell them? Yeah, I would definitely. It's a good question. I wish I had known about the PCOS sooner and I wish I had been more insistent that I felt like something was off because I had concerns even on birth control that, you know, I wasn't getting periods anymore and I wasn't, and you know, doctors were like, it's normal, it's normal. But with the history that I had, I think, you know, it was something worth investigating Mm -hmm. and I wish I had tested my hormones Um, that's something that like, I feel like everybody should do. And I'm not a Mm -hmm. medical doctor, but like, you get to a certain point as a woman, if you want to have kids or if you like, you know, feel like anything's wrong, test your hormones. Yeah. What's going on with all that? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a blood test. It's not horrible. No, it's, it's just lab work. And it's like, I wish I had done that many years ago and known like, Hey, just even for now that I'm off birth control, like I notice way more of the PCOS mm-hmm. symptoms because birth control manages so much of that and kind of keeps it a little more dormant. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, I'm like, especially in quarantine when you can't get waxed or anything, I'm like plucking my face and I'm doing all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah. I wish I had tested that stuff sooner and found out like, how do we manage this? Yeah. Um, I, I wish that I had known more about um, nutrition sooner. I'm so glad Mm -hmm. I saw a dietitian. That's something that I think um, for anybody at any size, like if you Mm -hmm. feel like some people eat really healthy from the beginning and are just great with that. But if you feel like you can fine tune some stuff with your diet, absolutely go talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, Your insurance might even cover it if you have insurance. Mm -hmm. Um, your doctor's office may have somebody in the office. I pay for somebody privately, but, um, it was so worth it for me to learn how to eat in a way, especially since I do have PCOS and for anybody else who does too, um, to eat in a way that is nourishing my body and is helping me hormonally and is leading me towards, you know, achieving that goal of having a healthier pregnancy and being able to get pregnant. Um, that's Mm -hmm. something I definitely wish I had done sooner. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, do you have any advice for people who maybe are larger and are dealing with some of that stigma that you had mentioned? Yeah. Um, I just hope, I hope that people know there's so many things. First of all, I think there are a lot of really good books and groups and things out there that are more body positive. Um, There's a book called Health at Every Size. It's by um, Lindo Bacon, um, who was, yeah, I think that's what it says now, Um, by Lindo Bacon. And um, it talks about basically how there is health at every size. And how to take care of your body and talks about like the science behind all of that. And um, things like that are really great. Intuitive eating is another book that's really great. 
um, talking about how to get in touch with your body and your hunger and fullness signals mm-hmm. and um, basically like how to eat in a way that is healthy for you and not, um, I think sometimes we sort of ignore how we actually feel mm. physically. And it took me a while in my eating disorder recovery to learn like what it felt like to be hungry, what it felt like to be appropriately full and not overly full. Um, those kinds of things I feel like are really helpful for anybody. Yeah. And I think also, um, you know, for people who are in larger bodies, there are resources and a community and podcasts and so many things that are out there for you. And you deserve those things. There is nothing wrong with you. There is nothing broken about you. You don't need to lose however much weight people are telling you to lose in order to deserve respect, mm-hmm. in order to deserve love, appropriate health care. Yeah. Um, and kindness, like you don't have to weigh any amount to deserve those things. Those things mm-hmm. are your right as a human. Right. What about when working with medical professionals? So you sounded like you were a really good advocate for yourself from, from my point of view in those times when you were met with, with that stigma from medical professionals. Was there something that you found was helpful in advocating for yourself? Yeah, I think, I think part of it is that I had done, the more that I do that work within myself and that I Mm. connect to communities that are um, body positive, but also um, positive for health at every size, the more I realize, um, the more you kind of learn the truth about what's happening around you and about the fact that, um, that weight stigma is out there and is a real thing. Yeah. And that just because somebody is a doctor doesn't mean that they're always right mm-hmm. about everything. I think that helps a lot. And I think also never be afraid to ask that question that I mentioned earlier. If, if somebody says something to you like, oh, I want you to do this or I want you to do that, or just tells you that whatever your condition is, is because of your size, I would ask them, what would you tell a thinner patient? What would you tell a thin person? There's no harm in asking that. It's not disrespectful. It's not, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. Ask them, like, what what advice would you give if I were 100 pounds, if I were 120 pounds? Like, what would you say to me with the exact same symptoms I have now? Because not everything is related to the size of somebody's body. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially, you know, you really have to advocate for yourself, especially in a larger body. And I would say, like, please don't, please don't give up on finding an appropriate medical professional. If you look up groups on Facebook for health at every size, um, there are groups out there and there are lists out there too of doctors who are considered size positive or size friendly okay. doctors. I would definitely okay. look for those people. I would not give up. Don't stop going to the doctor Um because I've done that. I spent years not going to doctors at all. And now because of my health conditions, I don't have a choice. Like I have to take care of myself. So I have made it a point in my life to have doctors around me who we can talk about my weight and that's not a problem. That's not something that's off the table, but we're going to do it in a way that's respectful. You know, we can just talk about it factually when people start putting their emotions into it and start saying like, 
you know, the size of your body makes me sad or, you know, which I've had people say, you know, things like that. That's not appropriate. You don't have to accept that. Yeah. And I would want people to know that, like, find somebody who is willing to work with you towards the health goals that you have, Mm -hmm. whatever that is. If you are looking to lose weight and do so in a healthy way, like work with a doctor who respects that. And maybe they know a dietitian that can help or something like Mm -hmm. that. And you also have the right, if you don't want to be weighed or you don't want to discuss that, you have the right to tell the doctor you don't want to discuss that. Mm-hmm. And they can still treat you. So I think just advocating for yourself and what you need at whatever stage of this journey that you're in, but don't feel like just because, you know, somebody treats you like crap or says, you know, horrible things to you about your body, you don't need, you don't have to accept that. You don't deserve that. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. Yeah. And then lastly, do you want to um, include where people can reach out to you on social media? Yeah, definitely. So I'm um, at Rage Against Infertility. So it's Rage, R-A-G-E underscore against underscore infertility on Instagram. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate being able to do this. Yeah, it's been really nice talking to you. Ashley, thank you so much for sharing your story. I can't wait to hear what happens next. If you haven't already, please follow me on Instagram at the underscore pineapple podcast and subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you either have gone through infertility or are currently going through it and want to be a guest, please reach out either through Instagram, which is at the underscore pineapple podcast or through email at the pineapple podcast dot stories at gmail.com. Thanks, guys. See you next week.